Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. We'll be looking at just verse 10, because it is in verse 10 that we see the two petitions that we will be considering this evening. Before we hear God's Word read, let's go to Him again in prayer, asking for His help in understanding this text. O Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word. We see how brief a petition each of these here is, and we pray that You will unpack for us the robustness, the the beauty of Your Word. In Christ's name, amen. Hear now the word of God, Matthew 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Soon after the great flood in the days of Noah, we see a group of people against God. At the time, there was only one language, and this group of people used that one language for gain, saying no to the command to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. They wanted to stay put. They had no interest in expanding horizontally, but all desire to move in a different direction, up. And so they used their ease of communication to build a tower, a very tall tower. We know the end of that story, don't we? That despite its height, the Lord still had to come down to see what these rascals were doing. The Lord then confused their language multiplied it to their shame, and he scattered them. But we need to ask, why in the first place did these Babylites build so high a tower? We're told in the Word of God that they had one goal in mind. It was to make a name for themselves. Using the language of the divine, they uttered to one another, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower, and let us make a name for ourselves. Through this episode of the self-exaltation of man, we see the exact opposite, the antithesis of a right heart. The chief end of man is not to glorify self, it is not to enjoy self forever, but it is to glorify God always. And through petitions 2 and 3 of the Lord's Prayer, our Lord Jesus Christ shapes our heart's desires. We pray for the will of our heavenly King to be done as his heavenly kingdom comes. Now, before we look at what we are asking, we have some words here that need review, that need explanation, that need clarification. The first is the word kingdom, and the other is the word will. This word kingdom is all over the place in the Gospels. There is so much involved in just this one word that we don't have time to cover every facet of this beautiful diamond of the kingdom. But there are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of God. There is the kingdom of heaven. And then there is the kingdom of darkness. Our Lord has in mind the reign, the rule, the redemption of the Father. One author summarizes kingdom this way. It is God's people 
in God's place under God's rule. God's people in God's place under God's rule. And we understand kingdom this way that we see that it has always been with creation in one sense or another. God has always had a people whom he has established in a place and to whom he has given his word, his law. God established the kingdom pattern to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He promised the kingdom to Abraham. He foreshadowed it from David down to Solomon. He revealed the kingdom in prophecy from Elijah down to John the Baptist. At every point in redemptive history, God had a people in a place under his reign. It didn't matter if they were in the Garden of Eden or if there was the tabernacle, the promised land, the temple, Israel. They had a, had a place. There was a people called out of darkness. And this people had the word of God. First spoken and then eventually inscripturated, written down. This kingdom is a spiritual one. But that does not mean that this kingdom stays in heaven and has no interaction with the earth. The kingdom touched ground in the incarnation. Remember Jesus' words, the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is now, or the kingdom has come upon you. Christ came as the second Adam, as the new Israel, and he lived, he died, he rose again. And when he ascended into heaven, he ascended the holy hill of the Lord as king. It was an enthronement. And from heaven now he reigns over everyone and everything. And he has given his word to the church. In this sense, the kingdom then has already come. Remember Jesus' words when there was that accusation that he was committing blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And he says, if by the Spirit of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom has come upon you. And so we ask, did Christ cast out demons? Of course he did. They saw what was happening and they attributed that power to Beelzebub. So that's where he's getting the power. They couldn't deny the reality that demons were being kicked out of people, that he was exorcising Satan's minions. It was clear evidence that the kingdom of God in the person of the King Jesus Christ has come. In Colossians 1 verse 13, we're told that believers have been delivered from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the beloved Son. This is then a present reality. The darkness no longer now reigns, no longer rules over us. Of course, that doesn't mean there isn't any darkness in the world. But light has pride of rule. The king does. This present reign is as real as a father's rule in the home as real as the elders rule in the local church, as real as the magistrates rule in society. Like it or not, there is a real and present authority. A child can argue against his father's rule in the home, but a spanking proves otherwise. A church member might object to the session's discipline, but being suspended from the Lord's Supper is a clear reminder of Christ's present reign through the church. 
A citizen might spit in an officer's face, but jail time reminds him who is who's boss, who's over him. Now, these are the judicial side of the kingdom rule. But the instructive side is just as important. Yes, the word of God is used to mete out justice. But on the front end, it is there to explain the will of God. It is there to instruct, to teach us. And it is in the church that we see God's word established and his reign most powerfully, because it is to the church that he has given his word. And this truth then leads us to the third petition. What is the will spoken of by Jesus in this prayer? Well, the Bible uses this word to refer to a couple different things. The first is the will of decree, and the second is the will of command, or will of desire, or will of demand. As far as the will of decree is to occur, this is This is God's single, simple, and eternal decree according to which everything takes place. And this was established from before the world began. Several passages bear this out. Ephesians 1.11, that God works out all things according to the counsel of his will. Or in Matthew 10, we're told that no bird dies without the will of God saying so. Quite controversially, we see from Paul in Romans 9 that we cannot resist God's will of salvation nor his will of damnation. That was the happy truth of God's election and the hard truth of God's reprobation we saw from Jude last week. Or in Amos 3, verse 6, does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? If a disaster has come upon a city, it is preceded by the eternal decree of the Lord. The psalmist in Psalm 115, verse 3, says plainly, Our God is in the heavens. He does everything that he pleases. He always has his will done in that sense, in the sense of his eternal decree. Job 42, verse 2, Job says, No purpose of yours, O Lord, can be thwarted. No one can change the eternal decree of God. Nothing can veer God off the path that is laid out from before the foundation of the world. But there's also the will of command or desire or demand. This is God's will that is revealed to us to know how to follow him. The scriptures teach what we are to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of us. The revealed things, as we saw from Deuteronomy 29, 29, belong to us and to our children. Why? That we might be more like Christ. We see in summary form the Ten Commandments as God's revealed will. Chief among God's will of command are these Ten Commandments. If you want to know what the will of God is for your life, you have the Ten Commandments right there. We see also... The two, the Ten Commandments summarized by Jesus. Love the Lord God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. You have the two tablets of the Ten Commandments summarized right there. Or in 1 John 2, do not love the world. Or in the book of Acts, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. These are all expressions of God's will of command, his will of desire, his will of demand. And it is 
is this that Jesus has in mind when he is praying, when he's teaching us to pray, your will be done. So we've talked about what kingdom is and what will is. What are we praying? Well, one author summarizes these two petitions in these ways. The second petition, he summarizes this way. This is what we're praying. God, establish your reign among men through Christ's work by the Spirit. See, that's a Trinitarian prayer. God, Father, establish your reign among us men here on earth through Christ's work, by the power of the Spirit. And the third petition is, O God, give us grace to obey your revealed will and to submit to your decreed will. Give us grace that we might obey that revealed will and that we might submit to that decreed will that we cannot change. And so we take these two petitions together. We see that what we are praying is that everyone will joyfully love and obey God. That's what we're praying. We're not praying that God would change his will of decree. How blasphemous that is to think that we would have planned out life better than God. We're certainly not praying for the kingdom of darkness to keep blinding image bearers. No, the kingdom of Christ has come upon the people and blindness no more. He converts hearts. We're not praying for God to change his law. Why would we ever pray such a thing if this is a representation, a summary of the character of God? No, we are praying for the radical transformation of everyone and in all of life. We pray this, why? Because we see that people resist God's will. We see that, God, that people resist God's will of command, that, we, uh, that they are uh, sinning rampantly. They are not submitting to the precepts, to the word of God. We see the Ten Commandments broken every single day by us and by others. We see in our own lives how prone we are to wander. We see in the lives of our brothers and sisters their need to grow closer and closer in their walk with Christ. And do we not see kings of the earth, how they need to kiss the son, lest he be angry with him and they perish in the way? We do not pray that God's will of command be accomplished in heaven. It is already accomplished in heaven. We pray that it is accomplished here on earth. We pray that the Son who reigns in heaven, whose will is always obeyed there, will so reign in the lives of people here on earth that there will be united conformity to the holy will of the Father. This need, this prayer, unveils a reality that the kingdom is not yet fully consummated. And that is why we are praying, desiring the King's kingdom to come and the King's will be done. His is the kingdom of grace right now. And this grace is not heartily received by all. And we lament this. We mourn this reality that not everyone joyfully obeys the Lord in every aspect of their lives. But one day the kingdom of glory in heaven will come down and join with the kingdoms on earth. And the kingdoms of the earth will submit to the king 
over heaven and earth. It is that kingdom of glory that we pray for when we say, oh, Lord Jesus, come. Is this what you're praying for? Have you taken stock of your prayers recently? Maybe even write down the things that you prayed for on any given day and after a week's time, reflect on the various things that you were praying for. Is this among them? Are these petitions among them? If God's name is to be hallowed, it must be hallowed according to His will, according to His kingdom. And so what ought we to do? We ought to subject our will to the Father's will. Our Lord Jesus directs us to say no to our wills, but yes to our Father's will. And so we begin with ourselves. We begin by praying that our hearts will not resist His will. I know the temptation is to pray for all of those reprobates, to pray for all of those ne'er-dwells, all those who do not submit to the will of God. And yes, we should pray for them. But are you not the chief of sinners? Pray for your own heart first, because don't you know how you resist His will? Parents and children daily experience a clash of wills, don't they? Parent says, it's time to do your homework. Child says, I want to play. The backyard looks so inviting. Oh, I know it does. But work first. Clash of wills. Husband and wife experience clash of wills at times, don't they? Just put them in a car around dinner time. Where do you want to eat, honey? I don't care. Are you sure you don't care? Let me suggest a place. No, not that. Okay, so you do care. I want Italian. I want Chinese. Different wills. We know, of course, that our wills clash with God's will all too often. And so our prayer is, unite my heart to fear your name, O Lord. Will we not then humbly grieve our waywardness? Shall we not then lament our sins? Too often we present our members to the shackles of sin. Too often our tongues are tied to the south pole of Sheol. Too often Our wills refuse to be softened by God's word to uproot bitterness. Too often our marriages are cold because we reject God's good news of life and joy. Too often our will is to work heartily only for ourselves and not to the Lord. Too often our will is to fulfill the desires of the flesh, the pride of life. And even at times we might make deals with God. Give me this job or help me to keep this job and I will quit that sinful habit I've been trying to quit for years. We subject our wills to the will of the Father. We subject our kingdoms to the King. And so our Lord directs us to say no to our kingdoms, but yes to His Father's kingdom. 
We are faced with how little our kingdom is compared to Christ's kingdom. We do not think big enough. We are happy to live in and promote our own kingdoms. Too often we treat the kingdom of God like a fantasy football team. We are in control of all the players. We manage all the setbacks, all of the injuries. We trade the people in our lives who refuse to be team players. Not playing for us, the general manager. And so they're cut, they're off the team. Our goal is to bring our team to victory, our kingdom to the finish line, and ourselves on top when the season is over. We do this mistaking a political party is the way of the kingdom. We do this thinking that if we just plant enough trees, if we just eat only the right animals, if we eat animals at all, if we petition for the right version of health care, then finally we will usher in the kingdom of God. But it is not our job to build the kingdom. Of course, not everything is equal. Christ's kingdom affects every aspect of life, politics, environment, the well-being of citizens. There is no neutrality. So Christ's word addresses all areas of his creation, every aspect of the hearts of men as well. But Christ will build his kingdom. What do we do? We pray for it. We proclaim it. And we subject our wills to it. As Christ converts hearts, as he conquers their will to his, as he makes new subjects for his kingdom, they in turn live according to his revealed will for all of life. So we subject our wills, we subject our kingdom interests to the will and the kingdom of God. And as we do these, as we align our will with the Lord's, we serve. We serve with clarity. And one of the most asked questions from Christians is, what is God's will for me? What's God's will for my life? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians, it's your sanctification. That's that's God's will for you, that you would be holy. That truly is the heart of the matter for Christ, that you would be like Jesus. If we want to boil it all down, God's will for you, to be like Jesus. And how do you do that? By keeping his commandments. As Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He wants you to be more like him in every area of your life. And that's why he has given you his word as a rule of life for every area of your life. And you can serve God with clarity as you pour over God's word and grow in your understanding of all of God's word. As children, we learn what our parents expect as we listen more and more closely to them and hear their specific applications of instruction. Perhaps you're a child and your parent has told you to clean your hands, and this is the first time they've told you to clean your hands, and you're not sure exactly how to handle this. And you see, because you have chickens, and you see, well, they are bathing themselves in dust. They're taking dust baths. Clearly, then, this is what mom wants me to do when I wash my hands, is to get those hands all in the dirt, just clean it that way. 
but we are not chickens. So what do we do? We clean our hands with water. But if you run the water over your hands alone, and that's all you do, your parent will say, not done. You have to have soap, dear child. Water, soap, rub those together. Scrub really well. That's then we're, we're cleaning our hands. If you're told to do some yard work, to take care of the yard, what, it's not just to look at the yard and see, well, there are no, there's no feral creatures here. I'm guarding the yard. I see a few pine cones. I don't think mom wants me to pick up the pine cones. I don't think dad wants me to deal with the pine straw. You listen to the words say, no, 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 you need to rake all the leaves, rake all the pine straw, rake all of the pine cones. Yes, those hundreds of pine cones, put them all in a bag. And don't just leave all the bags strewn about in the backyard, in the front yard. Take them down to the driveway that they might be picked up in due time. So we're listening to our parents as they clarify expectations. Say, no, this is exactly how I want you to carry out my will for you. And as we press our ears to the pages of our Father's voice, we know with greater clarity, with deeper understanding, His will, His kingdom. And then we might serve Him with commendable service. Let us then apply ourselves daily to the study and application of God's will. And so we serve with clarity, and we serve with hope. Even after we ask about God's will, we might wonder whether it will be done. We're praying this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it with hope. We pray for the king's kingdom to come, knowing that this king reigns even now. Though many trials threaten to uproot your hope, In the success of the Father's will of the kingdom from coming, your Savior has shown himself victorious, hasn't he? Though you did not choose cancer as a part of the king's will, fighting it will not deter the king from decreeing it, nor from using it for his glory and your good. Although you did not plan for your marriage to be on the rocks, Submit your will to the rock, which is Christ, and you have every reason to hope. Satan already had his his hand in stopping the kingdom from coming, from the will of the Father from being accomplished. He already tried, and we know how that turned out for him. Jesus kicked out his minions left and right and trampled underfoot that wicked snake at the cross and the resurrection If the kingdom of God had come upon the people at the Incarnation, surely then it will come again to join with his rule here on earth and all in the great timing of our glorious King. Let us then keep praying clearly and confidently, O Lord, come. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray that your kingdom will come and that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.